Thank you for joining our podcast. We hope that this message will both teach and encourage you. Here's today's message. Here it is, Father's Day, and as I was contemplating Father's Day, I just felt like the Spirit breathed upon my heart, and my friend Al Reaver, I knew, had pastored when this was Lake Worth Assembly of God, right here in this very location, and I just felt, Father's Day, I think I think Al's the man. Al Reaver's the man. And so would you just put your hands together and welcome to this pulpit this morning, Brother Al Reaver. Thank you, Pastor. Uh, it's indeed a honor and a pleasure to be here this morning. And while I've been sitting here, incredible memories have just been flooding. And I, I could just stand here and talk all day about the wonderful things God has done in this place. But I chose just one that I wanted to refer to because especially talking about Callie and Kurt, that uh, Arnita, would you stand up this model? Lovely, beautiful wife of 52 and a half years. And so in October of this year, we'll celebrate 53 years since we stood on this platform and were united in marriage. Uh, my father and the pastor of the old Northside Assembly of God at that time, uh, what? It took two to get us together. <laughs> Uh, but some wonderful things happened. I would love to share the, the whole thing. But um, uh, God has been incredibly good uh, to this father, this man. But way back there, 1963, my dad came to Lake Worth Assembly of God and uh, began pastoring here, pastored for 15 years. And then he retired uh, I was pastoring in West Texas out in Odessa. He came out and spent a few months with me. He couldn't stand it. So he he was in a travel trailer. He got everything packed up, headed back, and went to Springtown, started the church in Springtown. <laughs> so, so I've had a I've had a pretty good example of uh of a father who was faithful. He was my pastor my entire life, he, well, except the first four years. He began pastoring when I was four years old in Brownsville, Texas. Pastored there for uh, about eight, almost nine years. Then went up the valley to Mission, Texas. And then he went up to Quero, Texas. And then he came to Lake Worth. Four, four churches in 38 years of pastoring. And uh, it was never a Sunday that my dad was not a pastor in that 38 years. That was an amazing testimony to me but it's wonderful to be here it's wonderful to remember the incredible experiences that I've had because I had just gotten saved in April of 1965 when I say I got saved in April of 1965 I was for the first time truly totally born again radically saved from the soles of my feet to the top of my head to the ends of my fingernails I was saved and I've never looked back. And that was such an incredible thing. And the first church I came to after I left Houston, graduated from college and came back home was this church right here. And so I could start adding the experiences that God brought to me. But I was teaching French at Southwestern for about one, two semesters in 1965, 60, 65, 66. 
I was teaching French at Southwestern when God baptized me in the Holy Spirit in a chapel service there. Another incredible, powerful experience. And, and today, by the time that we get through, I'm praying that the Holy Spirit will become the focus of our lives. I'm talking to men today. And I've got, you know, it's it's something whenever I've had this message when Pastor Doug called me and mentioned our text being asked if I would consider, it didn't take me three seconds to answer. (laughs) Uh, Because just three days before I had been meditating on a passage of scripture, thinking about it in terms of Father's Day, but I had no place to preach it. And so he came and filled that gap. And so I was, I was ready to preach it. So let's, let's just look at the word. Turn to Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, chapter 5. And the whole message today is from, well, let me back up. The whole introduction to the message today is from Ephesians five twenty-one through 6, 9. All right, so that's a fairly long passage, and I opted not to read the entire passage, but I'm taking excerpts out of it. I've got six statements out of that passage that I want to read to you. May I ask God to bless this. Father, we thank you today that you are, and always have been, the example of fatherhood. As Paul said in the third chapter of this very book, Ephesians, the whole family on heaven and earth is named after a father, after our eternal father. And we thank you, Lord, that we can gather together in a house dedicated to you, a house that is filled with many, many years of testimonies of your moving upon people and changing people's lives incredible God that we get to be here today on this Father's Day and I pray that you will open our hearts and our eyes our minds to see Lord how incredibly important it is for us to be fathers in Jesus name I ask you Amen so I want to read just these six statements so in verse 22 Let me start back in verse 21. I'm about to leave out my whole foundation. Verse 21, this phrase is the end of a series of things that Paul is instructing the church to do. And he goes through all of these things that he's instruct, these instructions, and then he says, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Submitting to one another. In the fear of God. That that little phrase there, whenever I began to study it many years ago, just awoke something inside of me. You know, there's this whole thing about wokeism and being woke. I don't know what it all is. But I was woke, and I'm woke up. <laughs> How do I say this? I'm woke regularly by the Word of God. Yes, sir. And that Word of God in that phrase right there just I understood the key word, one another. Well, that's two words. The key word, one another. And the Greek word for that is called alelon. Sometimes today you'll see uh, groups that meet, and they call themselves alelon because it means fellowship. 
It's translated fellowship. It's also translated as here, one another. Fifty-two times in the New Testament, Paul tells the church how to be with, how to relate to one another. It's incredible. I just went through one time and wrote out every scripture that had that phrase, one another, in it. And it's amazing how that how detailed it is. But we're supposed to love one another as Christ loved the church. Right? Oh, there's so many things. I, that one's heavy. That's as, that's about as heavy as you can find in the whole New Testament. But this expression, one another, carries with it a, a mutuality. It's, it has to do with two. It takes two to be one another. Selah. Think about that. So anywhere where you come across this expression, one another, and it has some kind of a, a verb describing that relationship with one another, it has to be a two-way street. Yes, sir. And so Paul goes on, and in this whole passage, he expounds on three mutually submissive relationships. The first one starts off, and I'll just go ahead and read these statements as they're written. I am using the New American Standard Bible, but just as they're written, listen carefully. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, we can just go home. You heard that, ladies? It's been a real blessing of mine in the last, oh, 15 years or so. I've preached in about 17 different countries. I've preached in Southeast Asia. I've preached in a lot of Latin America. And I've preached in Europe. They really get this, wives, submit to your husband. I'm just telling you. So many cultures. I was reminded of the island, uh, one of the islands, and after the Second World War, there was a man who had been a missionary on this island down in the South Pacific uh, before the war. And one of the customs of that island was that the wives always walked about ten paces before their hus- behind their husbands. So everywhere they went, the man's walking. Well, his wife is, you know, dragging up back here. And so the war came, and Japan was taking these islands just one after the other. Uh, the missionary had to leave and come back to the States. A few years after the war was over, he returned to the island, and he was so shocked that the culture had changed, and now the women were walking in front. Ten, fifteen paces in front of their husband. So he went to one of the elders, and he said, uh, you know, when I was here before, the wives were always walking about ten paces behind the husbands. What changed? He said, well, the Japanese left a lot of landmines on the island. <laughs> I don't vouch for the truthfulness of that story because I, I read it in the Reader's Digest. But... Uh, 
that that has always stuck with me because that is many many years ago that I read that and and I realized that how how much culture determines our relationships but culture is not supposed to determine our I could even go so far as to say culture doesn't determine anything about us except what we allow it to I'm wearing a jacket today because of culture no, I really like those places that have been delivered from that culture. <laughs> but let me tell you, in in Vietnam, you're not a preacher if you're not wearing a black suit, a white shirt, and a black tie. I mean, that's just the culture. You've got to be dressed that way or you get no respect. So I do it. And when I get through preaching or teaching, I'm absolutely soaking wet all the way down from from following the culture. And, and so culture, culture's big. We all do to some extent. It's almost impossible for us to completely break free from our culture. I went through some soul-searching time as a believer because when I became a believer, I wanted to please God more than I wanted to please anybody. That was the driving force in my life. What does God expect? Not what does the church expect. Not what does the world expect. What does God expect? And that's what we all have to come to. So I want to get through this because then i got to preach my message. Okay? Love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters. I could just say employees, be obedient to your employers because it fits the custom. That's our lifestyle. Verse 9, masters, do the same things to them. Now, this, these are the three mutual relationships. Husbands and wives, parents and children, bosses and employers, employees. Those are the three relationships. They involve our home life through the first two. And then our relationship out in the world through the last one. But let me show you something. that This morning, if the thought hit me, how much emphasis was Paul making on each one of these relationships? You know, I've often heard and, and adopted, as my own saying, you have to keep the emphasis on the right syllable. And so I want to look at Paul's emphasis. So I counted the, re, the wives' relationship in submitting to their own husbands. Paul took three verses dealing with that issue. The husbands loving their wives as Christ loved the church, he took nine verses. He spent three times as much time telling the pastors how to submit to their wives. I mean the men. <laughs> I was looking at Pastor Doug. You got that, right? <laughs> the, telling the men how to submit to their wives as he did telling the wives how to submit to their husbands. And then, children, obey your parents in the Lord. He spent three verses talking about that relationship of the parents and the children and get this, you can look at, if you're following, you can look at verse number four 
Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. And that is the only verse that deals with fathers and their children. That was a shock to my system. That was just this morning. I always read over my notes before I go to preach somewhere, anywhere. And I just had that thought. What did Paul put his emphasis on in these relationships? Three verses for the wives, nine for husband, one for fathers. Now, I've been trying all morning, really. Uh, you know, my wife gets upset with me because when I get on something in my head, I just zone out. And she goes, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? Uh, nothing wrong with me. My brain's somewhere else right now. It's just, I, you know, I can't hardly break that habit. And I've been meditating on that all morning. And one of my, one of my clues was that, you know, maybe Paul didn't think that was the most important relationship in the whole series. Man, I don't think that would be it. Then I thought, well, there's no record anywhere that Paul has any children. So he probably wouldn't even know what to say about father's relationship to their children. I think that might be a possibility. Or maybe it is because that Paul realized, just as I was thinking when I began to pray this morning, in that scripture in uh, the third chapter of Ephesians, we bow our knees to the Father from whom the whole family in heaven. Oh, I feel this. The father from whom the whole family is named. Maybe he realized, what can I add to the example of fatherhood that we have from our heavenly father? I kind of think that might be pretty close to the reason that Paul didn't spend a lot of time on father. Just don't make your kids mad. And you and God can take care of everything else. Thank you. Amen. Let's go home. Is it you, you understand where I'm coming from, people? This is this is the word of God, and I'm just trying to get some some kind of a grasp on on the the importance of fatherhood. And I don't think it could be expressed any more strongly, any stronger. <laughs> I don't believe it could be expressed any stronger than to say that our example of fatherhood is God himself, our father. In the very beginning, I don't have this in my notes, but in the very beginning of the book of Hebrews, which you recently studied here, uh, according to your pastor, thank God for a pastor who teaches the word, man, who really, really wants to get that word. That's, that's our whole thing. That's all we have to offer. And uh, said, talked about the, in the beginning, God who at time, past time and in various ways spoke to the, our fathers through the prophets, has in these last days spoken unto us. And the Greek says, in, E-N, which is often mostly translated in, sometimes translated by. So it's translated by his son. But the Greek says in his son. And in fact, there's not even the, ver- the word his in that scripture in the Greek. He has spoken to us in son. And I was thinking about that one day. I said, God, 
explain this to me. Help me to understand. What, what does this mean that you've spoken to us inside? And he said, well, when you go to Central America, what language do you say? I speak in Spanish. Well, I speak in sonship. Come on, let, let the Holy Spirit quicken that to your hearts. See, this whole thing in our relationship with our Father is sonship. How deeply do we feel and recognize that relationship? I had a great relationship with my Father. I could never fault him. Well, I could, you know. I, like somebody already said, we're not perfect. But, but he was about as good an example of a father as I could ever. Always fair. If he said he was going to give me licks, I almost could count how many he was going to give me by the severity of my sin. That was a two-lick sin. This is a four-lick sin, you know. And I really hated to get caught on those four-lick sins because they... He made it hurt. But he was a disciplinarian, but he was fair. And he never, ever, that I can remember my whole life, never spanked me when he was angry. He was a strong man. And if he had gone after me when he was angry, I don't know that I would have survived. But he didn't. If he was angry, he would say, son... I'll deal with this tomorrow. Well, that's cruel and unusual punishment, you know. <laughs> because that meant I had another 24 hours that I had to dread it. But uh, I knew that when he came back, he would be fair. So I didn't have a problem with the sonship and the fatherhood of God. But I have had so many friends over the years, so many students in the places where I've taught who their father was such a beast, such a monster, that when we talked about God being our father, they had a difficult time. And I want to say to you today that if you've been in that kind of a relationship of abuse, of ill treatment at the hands of your own father, you will find everything you're looking for in the relationship with our Heavenly Father. He is the example. Neither Paul nor I can add much to this how do you be a good father? Obey your Father who is in heaven. Let his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let him be the example. But one more, one other point before I get to my message, okay? Is this okay? There's another point. I, I don't know Greek. Somebody said I know a little Greek that sells food, but I don't know. But... I, I've, I have a pretty good vocabulary because I look up words. I always, uh, I love words. My degree is in Spanish, French, and German, and so I'm interested in words. And uh, so I, I look up these words. And the word, the translation, almost every translation that I have found, and I spent 
Thursday, I was looking through several different translations. Every one of them says it just the way it does that I read it to you already. Wives, husbands, children, fathers, bondservants, masters. But I have an interlinear Greek Bible where it has all of the Greek words and underneath is translated word for word what is written in the Greek. Six times I counted them. I examined almost with a microscope because I didn't want to tell something that wasn't true. Every single time that Paul introduced a category in the mutual submission teaching, he introduced with the definite article. Now, what's that mean? Well, this is the way it reads. The wives submit to your own husbands. The husbands love your wives. The children obey your parents. The fathers do not provoke your children. The bondservants be obedient to those over you. The masters do the same things to them. Every single time it has that definite article. And somebody may be saying, well, why is that important? Because it points out the the definite fact that Paul was talking mutual submission. He introduces the subject is alelon, one another, one another. It's a two-way street, always, without any question, no way to avoid it. It's a two-way street. Then he says, the wives. In this two-way street, there's a relationship between the wives and the husbands, and it is a mutually submissive relationship. There is a relationship between the fathers and the children, and it is a mutually submissive relationship. One little anecdote out uh, my youngest child is girl, Andrea, and uh, Andrea was born in Odessa. A lot of things that I learned, because I had two boys, you know, and boys, you just kind of jerk them up, you know, but this was a girl, and this is, I'm saying, God, you put a big burden on me here to, to raise a daughter. But she was up a toddler, you know, could could talk, could kept getting in my way when I was working on a car and I was worried that she would be injured and the third time that she came running out in the garage after telling her to stay in the house I swatted her you would have thought I had put a pistol to her head I'm telling you that girl was crying bawling her eye. it was just one little swat that's all And so when I finished what I was doing, I went back to our bedroom, and I'm sitting on the side of the bed, and I'm crying, you know. And I hear this little girl coming down the hallway. She's not walking or she's scooting. She's scooting down the hallway, and I can hear her. And it gets a little louder, and finally she's right at the doorway. And she looks up at me probably from about four or five feet in front. And she said, but Daddy, do you still love me? (laughs) I lost it. I said, come here, girl. And I set her down on my lap and I said, you will never in your lifetime do anything 
that will make me not love you. You know, we've got that same promise from our Father. But right there in, what is it, Romans chapter 8, you get right down to the end, where Paul makes this long list of things that will never separate us from the love of our Father. Oh, my goodness. How can we learn this today? Now, then I want to preach a very quick message, which means you're going to have to listen quick. Is that okay? So listen quick. I just I, None of us, there's not a person in this room who could live up to God's example of fatherhood or even any of our mutual submission, mutual submissive relationships. None of us would be capable of really honoring God with our lifestyle without the truth that I'm about to share with you right now. And like I say, I'm going to share it fast. We've got 24 minutes. Ready, set, go. No. <laughs> you thought I was just going to take off, didn't you? Several years ago, a friend of mine, a pilot, shared a story with me about a friend of his who was an agronomer from Texas A&M. An agronomer is someone who studies and usually teaches and practices agriculture, you know, the study of plants. He asked Charlie this question, do you know why it is that when you plant a fruit tree, it takes three years before that fruit tree begins to bear fruit? And Charlie, not being an agronomer, said, no, I don't know. And this is what the man said. He said, for the first three years of its life, a tree takes requires all the life that comes into it just to stay alive. Then after the third year, the tree is mature enough that it has some excess life which is producing fruit. That was one of those moments, I can tell you where I was. I was in... uh, well, cannot Indianapolis, Indiana, in Indianapolis, Indiana, at hotel. We were, our whole team was up there with my brother's ministry, and Charlie had flown the jet to get us there. Uh, he was the co-pilot, and it, we were waiting to be seated at the, in the restaurant for breakfast. And he shared that story with me, and I realized for the first time that if we are consuming all the life that comes into us, we'll never be fruitful. We will never bring forth fruit for the kingdom of God. It's kind of sad I didn't know that, and I was so eager whenever I was a new Christian. This was my home church, and almost every Saturday for the summer, I would be out knocking on doors. I'd get up 9 o'clock in the morning. I remember right back over there, there was a room with an old mimeograph. A friend of mine and I, we would type up our own tracks. We'd run them off on the mimeograph. Then we would head out knocking on doors. Everywhere this whole part of Lake Worth, we knocked on doors to share Jesus. But we didn't have enough of that life in us to bring forth fruit. Are you, are you listening to me? You know, Paul talked about people who had zeal without knowledge. We both had a lot of zeal. He turned up a drug addict. I turned out a preacher. 
I don't know what made the difference. I've tried to understand it, but I've learned something. That when you get to a certain point in that relationship with God, there's excess life. There's something after you've taken what you need, there's something left over. Something that, and, and thank God now that's what is coming to fruition. I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, but I want you to remember that because when, when, and after Charlie shared that with me, I got so excited I just went back. When I got back home, I started studying. So John chapter one verses one through four. In the God, the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made by through Him, and without Him, nothing was made that was made. In Him was life. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. Oh, First Corinthians chapter fifteen, verse forty-five. One of my favorite scriptures in the entire Bible. So also it is written. The first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last Adam, anybody tell me who the last Adam was? Jesus, the Christ, the son of the living God. He was the last Adam. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Oh, that, that thing has grown on me because I've, I've preached it in Spanish. I've preached it through an interpreter in French because my French, I, I haven't used it enough, but I've preached it through an interpreter uh, in French, and I've preached it all over the world in English, that, that word, life-giving spirit. The Greek word is zoopoieo. <laughs> That's crazy. Zoopoieo, and it means life-maker. Life making spirit. See, Jesus could never run out because he makes life while he's going. Woo. He he's not just given something that has an end to it. He is the life giving spirit because he is the life making spirit. And in him was life, and that life was the light. It's that life that we are talking about today. And in John chapter 10, verse 10, we have these words. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But what? That they might have life. Oh, my. You know, we, we can understand that, but we've never wrapped our brains fully around this thing of the life that we receive when we are born again. Jesus shared this with the woman at the well in the fourth chapter of John. Whenever he said to her, if you knew who it was who was asking you for water, you could have asked him, you would have asked me, and I would have given you water, and the water I gave you would be water from an interior source. Like a well of water, an artesian well of water springing up within you. Oh, and he says, and if you drink this water, you'll never thirst again. <laughs> Praise God. You know, just this past April, I celebrated my 56th birthday. Oh, yeah, I know I look older than that. But I wasn't born again. <laughs> Somebody, somebody get it. Because I didn't begin to live till I was born again. 
And if that had been five years ago, then I would be five years old right now. Because the life giver was not in me. I had said all kinds of words. It was always to somebody out there. But his word, his promise to that woman was, if you drink the water I give you, you'll never thirst again. I don't sing the songs when we say I'm thirsty, because I ain't. Oh, pardon my Mississippian. Oh, that, that, I can see that went over like a wet, what do you call it? <laughs> uh, hmm. What do I say? Why could I get, hot, get thirsty when the very source of that living water is a fountain springing up? Inside, I don't go places to get water. I have the water of life in me. Come on, listen to me today. Don't let your life become stifled by what you can get, get, get. Understand that God the Father is about give, give, give. He's about what He has put within us. Oh, and we ain't even, we're not even halfway there yet. Let's tell the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey used to say. He didn't just say, I came that they might have life, but that they may have it. (laughs) Yes, not just enough life to keep you alive. Not just enough life to get you up in the morning, but enough, you know, just a personal testimony. One of my last trips overseas was uh, just not long before the COVID hit. I went to the Philippines, and and I left out here from DFW in a 16, 15, 16-hour flight. I don't sleep well on planes, so I didn't have hardly any sleep. We go to Hong Kong, run through this, one of the biggest airports. Man, I think it's a mile from the gate to where you have to clear the passport and everything, and then back again to where I came from. And then I flew to Manila for about nine hours. Spent five hours in the airport in Manila trying to get a few Zs laying on the seats. And then I was rudely awakened by a guard. You can't sleep here. You can't sleep here. Well, I did. <laughs> you just woke me up. <laughs> but I had to get up then. And then I caught a 90-minute flight over to the island of Mindanao. And then, uh, uh, what do you call it, a ferry boat trip to the very area where I was going to be preaching. The pastor and his wife met us and took us to the hotel. And they said, we'll be back in two hours to pick you up. Two hours later, I was standing in front of a congregation preaching. Can I tell you something? I was in no condition to preach. I was exhausted. I was brain dead. But before I set foot on that platform in Catapagan, Mindanao, Philippines, with about 300 people out there, before I set my foot on there, I said, Thank you, Lord. For the life. And I stood up. I probably preached too long because he just gave me a little overdose that morning. Are you with me today? 
You see, we're, we're not called ever under any circumstances to do our fatherhood in ourselves. We can't do it. I made one of my biggest mistakes with one of my kids whenever I lost it. Arnita had to literally come and take me. She grabbed me by the elbows from behind, and she said, Get out of here, boy. When she says it like that, you know you better do it. And she turned me around, and I went out, and I went into the living room of our house. This was in Odessa. And I began weeping, and I said, God, God, forgive me. I lost it. I let a little kid like that push me over the edge, and I did. And and she stopped me before I sadly would have abused him. I would have hurt the kid. I said, God, what happened? I'll never forget the words that floated through my brain. You were fighting a spiritual battle in the flesh. Selah. Selah. How many times do we find ourselves fighting a battle? We have no hope of winning because in the flesh we cannot win. But when that life is in us and we lay back, the next time that that same situation came up, we just got the kid asleep and I sat down on the side of the bed and I laid one hand on him and I said, Devil, you cannot have my son. And I fought the spiritual battle. And from that night, he never set his will against mine again. But why? Because the life giver steps in to provide what we need wherever we are, whatever we're doing. When we turn it over to him, the life giver steps in. So on that great day, the last day, the great day of the feast, and this is found in uh, John 7, verses 37 through 39, Jesus stood and cried out. There's so much background to that, but Jesus was there at this feast day, the the feast where they poured out the water, the feast of the pouring out. There's another name for it, but that's what was going on. They were doing this bringing the water from the pool of Shalom, bringing it up and pouring it in around the base of the altar. And Jesus was sitting there watching. And I just see it this way. He had, he had reached his, his limits. And he was so disturbed over the lack of understanding. And finally he stood up to his feet and he said, If any man thirst, let him come to me. Forget all of this ritual. Forget all of these actions. Come to me. He who believes on me, out of his innermost being will flow what? Oh, come on, say it. The whole church, say it. Rivers of life. Rivers of living water. See, we are not called even to just be an, an artesian well and I love artesian wells but that's not our calling our calling is to be a source of rivers that flow out of us 
for what? To water a dry and a thirsty land. That, that we can make a change in this world. A change that will start at home as we are mutually submissive in our relationship with our husband and wife. Mutually submissive in our relationship with our children. And mutually submissive when we're out there in the workplace. Then we change the world. Because out of our innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Uh, how many of you know who Reinhard Bonnke is or was? You ever heard of him? One of the greatest evangelists in the history. Covered Africa with the gospel. Literally gave an altar call and had one million people respond to an altar call. Incredible. And he was preaching at our church. I was with... Uh, Steve Hill at Heartland, Heartland World Ministries Church, and um, I was the teaching pastor in the church, so I got to meet Ryan Harvey for the first time personally, but I'll never forget the words he said, and that's what I want to say to Lake Worth, to, I'm sorry, Vision Church in Lake Worth. He said... I hear you sing and I hear you cry. Come down, come down. Holy Spirit, come down. Waters, come down. He said, the water is in you. The Holy Spirit is in you. Let him out. I can I can tell you personal experience I can tell you that whenever I shut up and let him do the speaking he always moves there's always fruit I, I was walking through a little village uh, Bia Nuevo down in uh, Honduras in Central America I was down there with Steve Hill on a LOLI uh, outreach and I was walking through this little village dirt streets and we'd already given out all our food I was by myself briefly and nobody was there and I walked in I saw a young man sitting on a bench and I just sat down beside him and I said uh, in Spanish I said do you know Jesus as your personal savior and he said no I said well let me share him with you while I was talking to him about five more people just gathered over. They saw us talking and came over. So I stood up, and what do you do? You start preaching, you know. And so I preached, and I said, now, how many of you want to receive? Five people. Why? Well, I wasn't doing that. I was just a vessel. I was just a folk cord. My Spanish isn't all that good. But the Holy Spirit is. I was going down... To the other extreme, I was going to a church down in Managua, Nicaragua, a church of 8,000 members on an Easter Sunday. My brother was the speaker, but I was asked to share. And the, the pastor, some of you may know him, David Spencer, but the pastor turned to me and he said, I'll interpret for you. I said, no, go sit down. I had just asked the Spanish pastor at our church to pray for me that God would fill my mind and my mouth with the words in Spanish that I needed. So I'm saying three times, 
3,000 in the first service, 3,000 in the second service, 2,000 in the third service. I stood up and shared for about 15 minutes, and they were on their feet shouting. Why? Because the life giver. The life giver. The life giver is in you. There's no situation in your home or in your relationship with the world. There's no situation bigger than the life giver. I'd like for everybody to just bow your heads if you would. I want you to meditate for a moment, just a few moments here. Or maybe some opportunities that you've had and where you blew it like, like I did walking the streets here in Lake Worth. Because you were trying too hard. You were putting your whole heart into it, but not, not realizing your utter dependence upon the life giver. Or maybe a family situation that it's just, it, it, it's gotten to a point where you you just really can't handle it anymore. And I can say to you today, the life giver can handle it and the life giver dwells in you. Maybe on your job there's a situation. Sometimes it may be totally out of the blue. Sometimes it simmers over a long period of time. But it's a situation church we value an opportunity to respond to the preaching of the word and the moving of the holy spirit so the worship team's coming right now my life my wife's gonna lead in a worship tune this is a great opportunity if you want to come to the front for prayer we'd love to pray with you if you'd like to just turn around and make an altar right where you are if you'd like to be seated just in the presence of the lord and just we have a couple minutes here that we want to offer a response to the lord opening of our heart opening of ourselves and allowing our spirit just to receive of his presence and to move into that zone with him. Hallelujah. If I can have everybody stand, we're about to be dismissed. But as you stand, there's not a father that's in this room that feels adequate (laughs) to be a father. That's a good thing. We're in trouble if we think we're adequate. But we get, did you hear today? We need that life to spring up from in us. We need to speak in the terms of sonship.
we need to speak that language to our family. Here's the other great news. It's not too late. Even if they're adult children, we can still shift gears and begin to speak to them in such a way that just bring life. Allow that life to be within us. There's not a man in this room that is thinking towards the future, maybe single, not a father. And they, they feel intimidated. How can I overcome that? How can I change that in the generations? How can I overcome some of the difficulties I've seen or have some of those fears of being now in this world? How can I be a father? I can do all things through Christ, which gives me strength. And how about those of us that can be spiritual fathers to people? That we can become spiritual parents to them. And we can speak in terms of sonship and assuring them of what God has done for them and what's available. We can prophesy over them and speak over their spirit and bring life to them. It's never too late. Isn't that great news? It's never too late. So wherever we might stand today, I just want to speak a a blessing over you and prophesy over you a blessing before we go from this place the grace and the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ is with you, upon you, and for you. You can only do all things through Christ, which gives you strength. And wherever you are today, that there would be hope that would rise up in your spirit, a strength that would come upon you only from God, and there would be a new resolution to open up of your spirit and allow life to flow through you, through your words, through your actions, through your behavior, through your example, transforming and changing you in such a way that you become a spiritual father, a real father, a father to adult children, even if you feel like your ship has sailed, that with with Jesus all things are possible and he comes that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly and that we will be devoted like never before being fathers, to being men of God, to being life speakers and life givers only by the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And we pray that and speak that in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Now, as we go, as we are about to release you, I want to let all men know, everybody say amen. All men here know that out on the table, I think it's been uncovered. There are three different kinds of gifts. You get one. The first three wrapped in orange paper are a diet dad's root beer. One of the things that's in there is a dad's root beer. Then the next section is dad's root beer. The next section is dad's cream soda. Why? Because I looked all over town and could only round up so many bottles of dad's root beer. So I opted for dad's cream soda. Okay. Now what else we have in here? is we have some Snickers for if you feel hangry. Just eat a Snickers. Don't take it out on anybody else. There's also some Milky Way in there. Remember the creator of the Milky Way. He's your Heavenly Father. There's also some clamps. They can act like separate extra hands. We think that we can do it all by ourselves. We can't. Go ahead and use that clamp. And when you do, remember, hey, I have a paraclete, a helper. The Holy Spirit has come alongside there's no shame in asking for some ham, some help. And then also there's a key, a little knife there, that you can keep on your key ring. It will pass all TSA inspections and won't get you thrown in jail. But every man needs that little knife, right? And if nothing else, to clean out from under your fingernails, your wife will be happy. 
if, if you do that, and your kids too, okay? So the Lord bless you. Have a great Father's Day. Men, this gift is for you. Some of you are fathers in development, and some of you are stepping into the role of spiritual fatherhood. We want to celebrate fatherhood today, and this is a gift for all the men. Be sure that.